14th, 2019, and the Toronto Raptors are NBA champions. As you can perhaps hear from my voice, celebrations took place across Canada last night as this team truly did win over the hearts of the nation. It was a historic moment for basketball in Canada, and Canada soccer will be hoping to at least follow up with a fraction of that same positive results at the men's and or at the women's World Cup and Gold Cup over the next month. We will chat about both of this week's on this week's Footy Talks podcast, including our full Gold Cup preview. To help us do that from CampyLCA and MLSsoccer.com, as well as various other outlets, it's Daniel Squizzato. Squiz, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Can you uh, confirm or deny reports that you spent uh, any part of last night dancing on top of a TTC streetcar? Confirm or deny, Mitchell? Uh, I was not in the Toronto area, so uh, <laughs> That's all right. that will, sounds uh, like a denial. Then, <laughs> yeah, I will. I will deny that. But yeah, certainly, uh, certainly had a lot of fun celebrating in the streets last night and uh, enjoying uh, all the chaos that came with uh, the Raptors' first ever NBA championship. But um, like I said, attentions for me at least now turned to two very massive tournaments for the Canadian program, both in terms of. Um, you know the results themselves and and where the program is heading as we head towards uh, being co-hosts of a World Cup in 2026 and um, all the importance there and yeah two two decently big games tomorrow obviously the CONCACAF Gold Cup starts Canada actually playing in the first game of that tournament heavyweight battle with Martinique (laughs) maybe that's a bit of a stretch but um, considering some of the results Canada's had in the past uh, it could could actually prove to be a tough game um, let's let's start with that tournament itself and the men's national team because um, you know it's probably been at least a decade um, and probably about as long as I've been watching this team since Canada's come into a tournament with uh, a team hyped up to this similar level. I mean, you you look at the team on paper and compare them to to other squads in Concacaf and um, they shape up very favorably. So. Um, especially with a lot of the young talent that's that's coming through the program right now. Um, so, w- what are your thoughts uh, heading into you know a, a a pretty big tournament for Canada soccer? Yeah, as you say, it has been the better part of a decade or more since we've seen something like this. The closest uh, similarity that I can think of was heading into the qualification campaign for the 2010 World Cup, which would have been back in. Uh, 2008, and you know, and Canada had just come off that semi-final appearance at the Gold Cup, and and we had what the fans were calling, uh, and people will be upset at me for even mentioning this phrase, but uh, the best midfield in Concacaf. <laughs> you know, we had we had uh, Dwayne Di Rosario and Julian Guzman and Patrice Bernier and this uh, this 20-something kid playing in Denmark called Atiba Hutchinson, uh, who of course is the only remaining link to that time period uh, or, or that specific squad that, uh, that is still with Canada at this Gold Cup. But absolutely, I mean, it's, it's, it's come together with a, with a speed that I don't think anyone could have predicted. I mean, even looking at the 2017 Gold Cup squad uh, from just two years ago where you had Alfonso Davies as a 16-year-old burst onto the scene and you had other players like, like Mark Anthony Kay announcing themselves to the world with, uh, with their performance. But uh, even guys that have stepped up since then, who 
weren't previously part of the program, and I'm sure we're going to speak about some of them in a minute, uh, but guys like Jonathan David and, and, and Liam Miller uh, and Derek Cornelius and some of these, as you say, young players that aren't just here as a one-off for this tournament. They're not going to Kawhi Leonard it, if you will. There's another <laughs> basketball reference. Um, he might resign. Who knows? Uh, but they they are of the age that they could still be very important parts of this team seven years from now when, yes, because this is a real thing, we are co-hosting the Senior Men's World Cup, and, and these guys who are in their mid-20s are going to be in the prime of their career by the time that rolls around. So it's it's definitely an exciting time, and uh, if there's one thing I've learned about following the men's national team for a number of years now, it's that if we're excited and we're coming up against a non-FIFA opponent in a Gold Cup, there's no way anything could ever go wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly uh, we, we've never seen that happen uh, for this national team before. I uh, I, I almost, in my pre, um, my like prep notes, I almost called them Mauritania, which is hey. you know, potentially a very <laughs> bad Freudian slip going back to uh, some certain unfortunate European friendlies that Canada played during the, the truly dark ages for the program. But, uh, yeah, we'll be uh, Martin. 20, 20, 2013, what a year that was. <laughs> oh, yeah. What a, what a moment for the program. But, um, yeah, certainly uh, certainly an interesting start for the, for the tournament for Canada. And you, you did mention a lot of names there, and I think that's – um, that's certainly something with this team is both not just the caliber of talent, but the depth of talent that John Herdman has to work with. And um, perhaps the, one of the biggest questions going into this competition is how he gets all of that to fit into one eleven. And, uh, you know, it certainly he's going to have to do some squad rotation. And that's something he's mentioned considering the pretty insane travel schedule that Canada has in front of it in the group stage. And the fact that they'll be playing at altitude in Denver and, um, a number of other, you know, factors that go into this. But um, if you're looking at, you know, your best 11 or, or that sort of thing, there's some difficult decisions that he's going to have to make, particularly, it seems like, across the back line where Canada, um, you know, is not particularly deep. And we've already seen Atiba Hutchinson uh, play as a center back in that pre-tournament game against Trinidad and Tobago. We've seen Mark Anthony Kay play as a left back. We've seen Alfonso Davies play as a left back. It looked against Trinidad like he was playing as a left winger but um, yeah certainly th those are the two positions I think that uh, I'll be most most interested to see from Herdman um, because you know they, they certainly have implications elsewhere if if Mark Anthony K is playing there it opens up another spot in the midfield if Davies is playing there it opens up another spot on the wings that sort of thing there's a big trickle effect in terms of the tactical uh, uh, decisions that John Herdman has to make here yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, there's one thing, well, there are many things we've come to associate with John Herdman, but one of them is, you know, starting uh, from his time with the women's national team, uh, he is definitely a believer in the concept of the modern fullback. You know, we've mm -hmm. seen him utilize uh, different players. You know, he brought Josie Belanger basically out of retirement, uh, who was a striker, to have her play right back. He took Ashley Lawrence, a very dynamic midfielder in the center of the park and has now converted her into uh, being a part-time left back, kind of in a similar way to what you've just described, uh, guys like uh, Mark Anthony Kay, I guess Alfonso Davies can be a bit of a wing player as well. Um, yeah, and, and, and I was going to mention, you beat me to the punch though, uh, the idea of Atiba Hutchinson dropping back into a center back kind of role because oddly enough, um, in, in a, in a 
on a team that often seemed to have you know five or six center backs on the field at any given time a few years ago yeah all of a sudden we look at the roster and we see okay we've got a you know we've got a 21 year old and another 21 year old and daniel henry and that's our you know quote-unquote official center backing core and um you know so you wonder if 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 that's what he's got in mind for atiba hutchinson uh if if we're going to see something like the sort of you know three five two that you know I'm, I'm loath to bring up tfc but you know when, when when you saw michael bradley dropping back there and greg vanny was still playing a three five two to some extent and and you know if you're going to see guys like alfonso davies and liam miller as backs rather than actual fullbacks where uh Herden has played them in the past and that of course um provides some of those central midfield opportunities to the two guys who you kind of look at as the heir apparent to Atiba Hutchinson in that central midfield role, which are Mark Anthony Kay, who we already mentioned, and Sam Piet, who's already got 50 caps at age 24 or, uh, or something along those lines. Um, yeah, and so it is a strange universe that we live in where we're thinking about, you know, who's going to protect the goal um, rather than who's going to try to put the ball in the other one because this is a team not just looking at the at the 23-man squad, but some of the names that didn't quite make it from the 40-man squad to the 23-man squad. Uh, creating attacking opportunities isn't going to be the problem for this team. And so if nothing else, we at least know this is going to be uh, a more exciting Gold Cup to watch than some of the ones we've seen in the last uh, the last decade, that's for sure. Yeah, let's talk about the, the rest of the group for Canada because we, we mentioned Martinique, who... Um, are evidently the the opening opponent for Canada, but then you know they've got uh, some trickier opponents as well. Certainly in Mexico, and um, you know Cuba could probably go either way. We've like, you know we've seen Canada struggle with Cuba before, but uh, that was more so you know when you're not playing in Havana, it gets a, it gets a little bit easier for uh, for any Concacaf opponent. So um, what what do you make of the group and and Canada's opportunity here? I think to go toe-to-toe with the best team in CONCACAF right now? I think that that's, that's obviously your, your, your hinge game there is seeing how they do against Mexico, and that's going to be a determinant of whether they can make some serious noise in this tournament in terms of advancing in the knockout stage. I, I think most people are coming into this tournament thinking Canada's got two wins out of this group. And you allude to the fact that Martinique you know, Canada lost to Martinique at the 2013 Gold Cup, but then again, that was in the middle of a year where they played 13 times and scored one goal. So, you know, this this is a very different team than the one that, that went into that tournament six years ago. Uh, Cuba as well, another one of those, and I'm even loath to say this, but if we, if we were to characterize CONCACAF in the way that um, people characterize the... the the world of, uh, of women's soccer teams, you know, they see Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3. You know, Canada and Cuba both sit in kind of Tier 2 of CONCACAF. So, you know, I don't think anyone's sitting here saying that we're looking down upon the Cuban team from some high perch, but I think that given the fact that they're not playing in Havana, you know, this is a team that has had a, a, a Canadian team that's had a chance to, to play together a bit now with CONCACAF Nations League qualifying um, with the pre-tournament friendly against Trinidad that you referred to. Um, they've got talent and they've got some familiarity, familiarity, try again, with each other. And, you know, it is not unreasonable for people to expect that Canada is going to win two games in this group and potentially have a competitive showdown with Mexico. I mean, you know, the past doesn't necessarily 
um, guide the future. But, uh, you know, when Canada actually tried to open up a little bit against Mexico under Benito Floro, so results were mixed, uh, at BC Place, there was, okay, there was a, you know, there was a, there was a little bit there. And then, uh, you know, Mexico got booed off the pitch at the Azteca because Canada held them to 2-0, you know, a couple days later in World Cup qualifying a couple of years ago. Again, different squads on both sides, different circumstances. Um, but, you know, I think for the first time in a decade, and, and, uh, and I wrote about this the other day for MLSsoccer.com, uh, for the first time in a decade, people are not looking at the knockout stage as something that Canada might be able to make if the stars align. They're looking at the knockout stage as the starting point. And if Canada doesn't make it there, that's when questions are going to start to be asked. You mentioned the the tiers of teams. Um, who who for you are in the the tier one right now? Because um, obviously there's there's the usual suspects, Mexico and, and the United States. But both of those teams come into this tournament with uh, at least questions based on injuries for Mexico. They're missing um, a, a lot of their top end players and uh, even injuries and you know some some squad emissions in the in the case of Carlos Vela. Um, as well as the United States, who you know are certainly going through a transition period right now, and um, some of their pre-tournament friendlies didn't uh, necessarily result in a lot of confidence. Um, so, who are those kind of top teams for you that you could potentially see uh, winning this tournament? Well, I think uh, you know the, the the tiers themselves, insofar as they exist, kind of you know it, it, it takes it takes some time to shift from one to the other. You know, I think that if Canada has a a really good showing this tournament, then it's not as though they all of a sudden um, uh, jump up a tier. Uh, and as you say, Mexico and the United States, especially the U.S., you know, going through what they're going through at the moment, I think that they still have um, the spot that they're in. Uh, I think you can't look past the fact that this is another um, weirdly co-hosted tournament where there are uh, games happening in both Costa Rica and, and Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, both of those teams are going to get the opportunity to play a home match in the Gold Cup in the same way that Canada did uh, a few years ago. Not that it worked out great for Canada, uh, <laughs> but looking at recent results, um, you know, a Jamaican team that made it to the final two years ago uh, of this Gold Cup tournament, I think they, they're dangerous. Costa Rica, always dangerous. I'm loath to mention it. But, you know, I, you know what, I, just even the way I've started this sentence, you know, people who've listened to the show, who've, who've, who've read what I've written, who've followed me on Twitter, you know which Central American team I'm referencing here. So I'll <laughs> say that there's a certain Central American team that always finds a way to make themselves dangerous in tournaments like these. And for the sake of my blood pressure, I'm going to hope Canada steers clear of them uh, when, it, when it comes to the later stages of the tournament. Um, yeah, so I, I think we're looking at some of the, some of the similar heavyweights, but... Canada can make some noise in this tournament, and, you know, what the heck, there are some, uh, I don't want to call them minnow stories, but, you know, you look at teams like uh, like uh, uh, Nicaragua and, and uh, Bermuda that are, you know, had a, that have found their way into this tournament because of its expanded format, and, uh, you know, there's always magic, and I say magic with heavy quotation marks, that can take place in CONCACAF. He was talking about Honduras for those uh, who were wondering. Uh, I could hear, <laughs> hear the yes, cringe yes, through the phone. Um, let, let's finish up this segment by talking about um, what the what the goal should be for Canada at this tournament because 
Um, evidently, like you said, the expectation, I think, is, and John Herdman said this, is to at least make the knockout stage and uh, probably play a competitive fixture in that. But uh, I, I wonder if it's maybe more about how they play versus necessarily how far they go. If if this is a Canada team that in basically all of their games look unafraid of their opposition, can uh, show some attacking guile, can defend very well, and, um, yeah, reasonably look like, you know, one of the top four teams in CONCACAF or so, then uh, I think this is a successful tournament. And uh, even if they don't necessarily progress beyond what they did at the last Gold Cup, you know, <laughs> the last Gold Cup, you know, they only did win one game and it was against French Guiana. So um, while that's kind of looked back at with rose-colored glasses, it, w- it was done so kind of in the context of um, some very poor results at the, the Gold Cups that preceded that. So you know, I I, th- I think that maybe the performance for for me at least is is probably the biggest thing that I'll be looking for here going into the more important competition, which of course is World Cup qualifying. Oh, absolutely, and I think that the way we look back at the last Gold Cup is kind of a combination of the two things you said there in terms of, uh, you know, when 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 you've been dying of thirst in a desert and someone gives you a drop of water, it looks like a like a cascade, right? <laughs> I mean, we had we had been. Uh, uh, ooh, sorry, I'm doing. Canada had been not us. Canada, the national team, had been goalless for two previous Gold Cups. You know, had had looked. Uh, you know, had had just been knocked out of World Cup qualifying several months prior, and uh, for them to come out and play the way that they did in the games, as you say, they won one game, but um, even in the other three games they played, just to see, oh, okay, this is a team that can move forward and score, and oh, this Alfonso Davy kids. Alfonso Davies' kid might be for real, um, did a lot to establish some of that positive momentum, perhaps just psychological, that the team is, is currently enjoying. Because even in the game, uh, the, quarter, the quarterfinal game against Jamaica, you know, it, it was a competitive one-goal game uh, where both teams came out and, and showed what they could do. And I think that, you know, the, the, the case has been made for a long time by a lot of people, especially uh, under... Benito Flora when it was clear that the team's identity and its goal was to go out and just hang on for dear life and you know a 1-0 win with a goal that bumbles in off of Kyle Lahren's butt is as good as anything else so that's what we're shooting for and then hang on for dear life um, you know and, and during that era I, I would hear people say you know what I would rather the team just go out and if we're gonna if we're gonna lose 5-3 you know so be it. And and I think that, you know, I, I alluded to the game against Mexico at BC Place. For some weird reason, Canada actually decided to do that in that game. And despite the fact that the Canadian team lost 3-0, I think a lot of people came out of that game actually with a bit of a positive attitude, probably because you don't go in thinking you're going to beat Mexico anyway. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but to the point you're making, yeah, I mean... Um, you know, it's 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 not a full World Cup. It's a small-ish tournament. So going deep in the knockout stages, while well, you're basically in the you know the the, the quarterfinals right from the get-go. Uh, so there's a, you know there's only so many directions you can go in. But yeah, I I think that uh, you know if if Canada finishes as runners-up in Group B, which is kind of what people are are assuming is going to happen. That almost certainly gets you a quarter uh, a quarterfinal match against Costa Rica, and if Canada goes out there and plays a competitive, entertaining match against Costa Rica and loses in the quarterfinal, I don't think anyone's going to look at that as a failure. Um, 
as you say, a lot of it comes down to how the team plays, what kind of perception they can put out there, and what kind of energy they can produce uh, going into CONCACAF Nations League and the eventual resumption of World Cup qualifying. Well, let's move on to talking about the big tournament for Canada right now, um, at least or, you know, from that perspective, and that being the Women's World Cup. Uh, Canada opening with a 1-0 victory over Cameroon, a game that uh, was maybe more tight than I think most would have hoped for. Um, you know, one goal off a corner from Kadisha Buchanan was the difference in that game. Um, we've, I guess we've kind of seen mixed results from the perceived favorites at this tournament. The, the United States had that massive victory that we don't need to get too much into because all the nonsense that followed. And um, France, they, they beat South Korea pretty handily. But we've seen a lot of the, you know, relative... Uh, minnows do fairly well at this competition against the the top teams and uh, that's a massive positive for the women's game but also maybe puts this result into perspective for Canada um, you know tournaments like this are always kind of a build starting slow isn't necessarily the worst thing but certainly we'll be looking for more I think from Canada and, and the games to follow and they'll need more if they want to uh, certainly you know match the Dutch on the final group stage game uh, in this you know, in the, in this group yeah and I think that um, you know because of the upbeat results that Canada has gotten at recent tournaments that are, that have really brought them onto the uh, uh, into the consciousness of the entire country you know obviously the 2012 Olympics and then the 2015 World Cup on home soil and all the excitement around that and then the 2016 Olympics and another medal there uh, and people around the country now becoming aware of how close Christine Sinclair is to breaking the all-time goals record Mm -hmm. there perhaps might be an unrealistic expectation of this team being something that it's not and the thing that people might think it is but that it's not is a team that's going to go out there and shellac opposition, right? Uh, uh, having these these tight-fought games is not uncharacteristic for this team as it currently stands. I mean, this is a team that has got uh, young talent, scoring talent, you know, the, the, the capacity to put the ball in the back of the net, uh, but they've just not quite pieced it together on a, on a consistent enough basis, and I think as you're seeing... Um, the expansion of the FIFA Women's World Cup over the long run is, I think, still a good thing. And yeah, some of these games, both at the last tournament and at this tournament, are uh, symptomatic of of the growing pains of a sport that's being expanded into places where it wasn't previously played at this level. But the byproduct of that is that we're getting to a point where, oh, all of a sudden Canada can't walk into a, a, a Women's World Cup or a big um, women's tournament and simply, you know, check a box and say, oh, okay, well, that's a, you know, that's a team from this part of the world or that's a team that's here in the FIFA rankings. So that's, you know, they're going to be pushovers. Um, the level in general is rising. And I think that um, we get caught up, and I know this wasn't the question you asked, but I'll get back to <laughs> it. I, I promise. Um, I think that the most dangerous thing that Canadian fans and Canadian media can do at this tournament is to do the same kind of excited cheerleading around the team that was done at the last World Cup. Last World Cup, absolutely understandable. 
They had won the Olympic bronze three years prior. It's a gold cup on home soil. It's a time for celebration. It's a time to inspire a nation. That was the phrase that was always used. The team was inspiring a nation. Um, the thing is, Canadians don't need to be inspired, and these are you know women and girls. They don't need to be inspired to care about soccer. They already do. Right? There's already hundreds of thousands, you know, there's more girls playing soccer than playing hockey, you know. Um, it's, so it's, it's not about the happy-go-lucky fuzzies, because if we're content doing that, if we're content saying, oh, shucks, good job, you went and gave it a go, we're going to get left behind. You know, four years from now at the next Women's World Cup, we might be looking at, oh, Canada lost to a team from South America or Africa or a part of the world that hasn't necessarily produce top-tier women's teams. Because if, if you're looking at the way some of these teams have advanced in the last four years, from where they were at the last World Cup or where they were at that time to where they are now, that's, that's something Canada has to keep up with. Uh, and, and so that means building infrastructure. That means cough, cough, maybe a women's professional league? <laughs> cough, cough. Uh, yeah, and, and so absolutely, you know, let's watch the games, let's cheer, let's enjoy but let's also not get complacent. Otherwise, things could look pretty, uh, pretty sketchy around 2023 when, well, let's assume Christine Sinclair is no longer part of the picture, and we're looking at a at a whole different uh, generation and um, setup for this team. Yeah, it was pretty interesting hearing Carmelino Moscato, obviously a member of uh, of some of those storied Canadian teams, talking at a recent Footy Talks event about how the impact of Canada 2015 hasn't necessarily been as much as she would have hoped on kind of the grassroots level. And I think it's it's partially because of that. Everyone saw everything through rose-colored glasses and, you know, the system's perfect and we're getting all these good results. But like you said, um, and even going into this tournament, you know, a team like the Netherlands, who four years ago Canada would have been seen to be heavy favorites over are now considered favorites over Canada and that growth continues to happen as Europe starts to invest more in their leagues and we've seen a lot of Canadian players actually go over and play in Europe as well Um, and you know evidently in in overall soccer terms a lot of countries are well ahead of Canada um, just on on the men's side so if they can devote those resources to the women's game it's it's going to be a massive advantage so yeah it's it's going to be very interesting to continue to watch kind of how other countries catch up and and how Canada is able to um, stay ahead of them Um, Canada's Canada's second game in this group, of course, uh, comes tomorrow against New Zealand, a team that they played at that 2015 tournament and tied nil-nil. Uh, New Zealand were narrowly close to doing the same against the Dutch, which would have, I think, been a massive um, uh, you know, help to Canada if those two teams had tied, but the Dutch were able to score very late to, to win that game 1-0 probably going to be somewhat of a similar game to uh, the Cameroon one um, maybe with New Zealand having a little bit more going forward but uh, New Zealand still winless at at this competition interestingly Canada's never won their first two games at a Women's World Cup so um, potentially something to build towards there but yeah it should be another kind of defensive battle uh, with Canada trying to trying to break the the New Zealand lines in this match yeah I mean for the sake of our fellow Canadian fans, and I guess anyone who's going to be in attendance in France at the 
game uh, tomorrow between Canada and New Zealand. I hope for their sake, having been on hand in Edmonton four years ago when these teams played at the last World Cup, God, I hope it's a better game than that one. <laughs> that was, um, look, we were all excited about being at a World Cup, but uh, ooh, yeesh. Um, yeah, but 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 it's interesting, you know, the way the way the cookie crumbles and the fact that, as you say, Canada finds itself uh, with two of the same group mates as they did two years ago or four years ago, I should say, and uh, things things ending up on the on the first match day the same way they did in 2015. Canada mm-hmm. with kind of a nail biting one uh, nil win, uh, you know, four years ago was that dramatic last minute penalty against China. Um, in this case, it was the Netherlands. They got their own one-nil win over over New Zealand, and you know, coming in, I I I, I think our our expectation is that this game, Canada versus New Zealand, could very well be nil-nil again. Uh, I mean, I think Canada has more uh, attacking diversity on this occasion. Um, well, they could have used Janine Becky four years ago. Anyway, whatever. That's a dead issue. Uh, you know, they, they they have more attacking options, and I think that does give them. Um, more ways in which to potentially break down this New Zealand team. Mm-hmm. But as you say, this is a New Zealand team that held on until the very, very end against the Netherlands, who, as you said, four years ago, Canada went in as heavy favorites against. The Dutch are now coming in as European champions, as a team that is expected to go toe-to-toe with Canada in that last group stage game. And I think that I don't think there's really anything we can take for granted in this tournament at, at this particular moment. Um, I think that, uh, you know, not to, uh, <laughs> not to not to not to pick at any wounds here, but hmm, I don't know if taking the manager of the women's national team away and making him the manager of the men's national team less than a year before the Women's World Cup was the best <laughs> possible way to prepare. I don't know. I mean, it's never been done before, so let's see how it turns out, but there's a vague possibility that that may not have been the best thing to do from the perspective of the women's team. Then again, maybe we'll be holding the trophy. They'll be holding the trophy in a month's time, and, and this will look like, you know, just uh, nitpicking. Um, yeah, but but as I say, you know, we're, we're, we're beyond the stage where we can take anything they are beyond the stage where they can take anything for granted in this tournament. And, um, you know, if, if they're going to get those results against New Zealand and, Nether- and the Netherlands and whomever they face in the knockout stage, oh, knock on wood, uh, they're, they're, going to ha- they're going to have to work for it. You sound like you're on the uh, TSN panel with all the Wii's you're dropping. But to be fair, most of that panel played for Canada. So um, they, they have a little more right to do it than, uh, than we do. But uh, let's finish up the show with uh, some Voyager's Cup talk. Um, been a pretty great tournament so far, to be honest. Uh, this is, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, what everyone would have envisioned when the, the Voyager's Cup was created was uh, the chance for some Canadian domestic teams to, to get involved. And it's made for some pretty exciting ties. I know the, the Cavalry Forge one will certainly live long in the memory and and has created a, a natural rivalry that's, that's very exciting. Hopefully, um, you know, there's there's some uh, issues with that, of course, that uh, hopefully get resolved in the right way. But um, on the surface, it, it's been very exciting. And um, we've seen three teams move on that uh, very interestingly were the ones who had to play their, their first round matchups. And um, all three teams who got the bye got eliminated. Um, 
so yeah, we, we're moving on now to York 9 playing against the Montreal Impact. Cavalry will be taking on the Vancouver Whitecaps, and uh, Halifax will battle the Ottawa Fury. Uh, which of these matchups are you looking forward to? Because, you know, all, all tournament have kind of been alluding to the fact that the, the most exciting ones will, will probably be this round in, in the sense that we'll get to see uh, what Canadian Premier League teams look like relative to uh, MLS sides and as well the the Ottawa Fury who obviously there's there's some rivalry and and history there as well yeah I, I think that when the bracket awkward though it may be was revealed and and the the season started to be played uh, in the CPL and we kind of saw all right we've got we've got we've got Calgary we've got Hamilton kind of rising in the top here oh they're gonna play each other in the second round, well, maybe it'll be a dud. Oh, it wasn't a dud. These are okay. This is actually a real thing that's happening. Um, I think that when we saw the way the bracket broke down, we looked and thought, okay, which, whichever team comes out between Forge and, and Cavalry uh, might have the best shot of, of making some noise in that in that next round. And so I think that, you know, I, I've, I've got my eyes. I've got my eyes on all of them, but... Uh, you know, th- that matchup between Cavalry and the Whitecaps is going to be fascinating because, mm-hmm. you know, Cavalry has yet to be beaten in, in CPL or in um, Voyager's Cup play. Um, they will, based on the way the timing is working out, this round takes place in, in mid-July. The spring season ends on Canada Day. Cavalry, assuming nothing changes dramatically, will have season champions which gets them a spot in that cpl championship down at the end of the year they will they will be in the prime position again assuming it plays out this way mm-hmm. to say all right you know what let's prioritize cup competition at this we're going to go at the whitecaps um whereas vancouver as ever is kind of uh, on that on that playoff bubble in in uh, the western conference as uh, at this moment anyway things can change in a few weeks and uh, you know it's it's always a question about where teams are going to put their uh, put their priorities. Of course, you know the Whitecaps with their history uh, in this tournament know that they can't take it lightly and they can't just ignore it. They've almost been knocked off their perch a, a couple of times in the past uh, by by teams coming from from different leagues and different competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean it's it, it see how things actually happen between an MLS team and a CPL team. Certainly certainly getting those dates circled on my calendar because uh, this is going to be very exciting and uh, and a pretty monumental moment for, for Canadian soccer, I think. Uh, hopefully we have a few of those over uh, the next few weeks, but uh, it remains to be seen as, um, yeah, like, like we've mentioned on this podcast, a lot of questions for both national teams and uh, as well as a lot of the club teams going into uh, the, the next round of the Voyagers Cup. But um, the, the fact that we're even having these conversations and, and putting Canada um, and these teams, you know, potentially deep in some of these tournaments is, is very exciting. So looking forward to seeing how it all plays out over uh, the next month. Um, and Daniel, thank you so much for, for joining the show this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. And to the rest of you, uh, enjoy a very exciting day of soccer tomorrow for Canada, and thanks for listening.